Well, good morning, family and friends. It's uh, very good to be here with you today. Uh, some of you have been friends of ours for 24 years. Um, that's a long time. And we're all family because we're all part of the, the family of Christ, and we gather together today as a visible expression of, of His body. So today, uh, as Peter said, I guess I'm on the retirement tour, and uh, we're, Jackie and I are marking the end of uh, five years at serving as missionaries, five years as a pastor of a church, and now a little over 28 years in military chaplaincy. And so I ask you this morning if you'll indulge me and allow this to be more of a testimony and hopefully words of encouragement for you instead of what you might think of as a, a normal sermon. And if you say no, it's too bad I'm up here already. Anyway. So I don't know what your stereotypes are of sailors and seafarers, but I suspect I don't fit that stereotype. I don't swear like a sailor, I hope, even when I'm cut off in Washington, D.C. Uh, traffic, and it's very tempting. I don't drink like a sailor, after all, everything in moderation. But I do fit one sailor stereotype at least a little bit, and that is I have tattoos. Yes, as my Navy career, of the end of my Navy career approached, I did something that most sailors don't wait until they're 62 to do, and that's I got a tattoo. Now, if, that, if your thoughts immediately turn to Leviticus 19, I think the context is pretty clear that this prohibition against tattoos is specifically aimed at pagan rituals. But I can discuss that later if you want to. But if you do want to discuss with me about whether tattoos are permissible or not, I'll point you to Revelation 19, which seems to imply that at least in John's vision, Jesus had a tattoo uh, on his thigh, but don't look that up now. I can point it out to you after church. And I do want to caution any of the younger people here who go home and say to your parents, I want a tattoo, and Tom has a tattoo, so it must be okay. Uh, it took me about 15 years from when I first got the idea of having a tattoo to when I actually did it. So if you think about it for 15 years and you still think it's a good idea, you're probably okay. But back to my tattoos. Our family motto, the Walcott family motto, for at least the past 30 years has been all for one and one for all. And so that's the, uh, the first two tattoo that I have. We recite that together as a family whenever we are all together, uh, all 16 of us, and we do it kind of like the Three Musketeers used to do. And yes, the first time any of the kids that our kids were dating would come to our house and would see that, they kind of questioned what kind of a family they were joining. But for us, this motto has, has a very important meaning. Number one, we want and expect to be there for each other. We expect to be all for one and one for all, to support and to encourage and to pray for each other. But we also capitalize the one in the motto as a reminder that all we do, we do for God, because God gave himself all for us. I'd wanted to get that too for many, many years, but I kept chickening out. I'm not really a fan of needles and pain. But then finally, two years ago, the kids bought it for me for Christmas, and when the kids buy it for you for Christmas, you're, you're kind of stuck. So I got that tattoo. And then in spite of our son Caleb's warning that I was about to become the Dennis Rodman of Navy chaplains, I got another tattoo last month. 
and that's on this arm, and it says step by step. It comes from a song that many of you may be familiar with from Rich Mullins, Sometimes by Step. And we often sang that to our kids when we were giving them baths when they were young. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning. I will learn to walk in your ways, and step by step you'll lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. That was and that is our prayer for our children and our grandchildren and for us, that they and we will continue to follow God's leading each day step by step. That chorus has been incredibly important to us for the last 28 years. Some of the steps that we have had to take have been very, very difficult. As many of you know, assignments to war zones and disaster areas, long, long, long periods away from home, dealing with death and suffering and human tragedy. But as Scripture and experience teach us, following God's path is ultimately the right and the best thing to do. And for me, at least, I found that the best way to follow God's leading is one choice, one decision, one moment, one step at a time. Now, of course, we would prefer to have everything laid out for us, that we would exactly know what was coming next, what was around the next bend, but life seldom, if ever, works that way. And I'll confess the obvious, I have not followed God step by step every day, but I want to, and hopefully this tattoo will help me to remember that. I was going to get another tattoo, uh, but then I decided I should slow down on the whole tattoo thing. I was kind of scaring my kids. But the tattoo that I will get next when the time comes will say, be gracious. In all the political and social and religious divisions over the past number of years, I have not always been gracious. I've sometimes been self-righteous. I've sometimes been passionate and opinionated. And sometimes I've even been angry. And while sometimes I can convince myself that those feelings are understandable and sometimes they're even justified, nowhere in God's Word does He say to me, Tom, I want you to be self-righteous and opinionated and angry. He does say to me, Tom, I expect you to be gracious. And I need to work on that. So maybe next year if I come back and, and uh, you look at my arms, there might be uh, just one more tattoo. But that's it, I, I promise, Jackie, that'll be it. I want and I need to be reminded of Christ's incredible, amazing grace. And since he has been that gracious to me, of course, how can I choose to be anything but gracious to others? So that's the story of my tattoos. And by the way, if you're wondering, my mother does not approve, not even a little bit. When I told her I was getting another one, she looked at me and she said, shame on you, Thomas. And when she uses the word Thomas, I know I'm in trouble. But she loves me anyway. But for the rest of our time today, I want to use the theme of a tattoo that dates back centuries as a kind of our theme message. And before we look at that, I want us to read together from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 28. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 28. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. 
Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire, do not treat prophecies with contempt, test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. The tattoo that I want to draw your attention to, I think there's a slide coming up that has that, is the words, hold fast. And it is one of the oldest tattoos that was used by seafarers, and it was actually originally used by the Dutch when they were a great seafaring nation. I don't speak Dutch, so I hesitate to try to pronounce it, but in Dutch it's houdvast, V-A-S-T. Usually, as you see in the picture up there, the, the tattoo was put on your knuckles or on your fingers. And if some of you remember the movie Master and Commander, there were a number of sailors who had this tattoo. And these same two words, hold fast, are found over and over again in Scripture, dozens and dozens of times. You don't have to know a lot about sailing to know why a sailor might have that as their motto. In the days of sail, sailors had to climb in the rigging to raise and lower the sails in all kinds of weather, usually in very bad weather. And falling was an ever-present danger. And if you fell from the rigging, you would be seriously injured and most often killed. So holding fast was literally a matter of life and death. It didn't take me long to figure out that whether I was in a 47-foot Coast Guard response boat or on a Navy aircraft carrier, The rule, one hand for the ship, makes sense, and it kept you safe. You never knew when a wave was going to hit you and throw you off balance. And so holding fast kept me from falling or getting tossed around the deck many, many, many times. I will tell a quick story on myself. I was visiting a surf boat station in Oregon a couple years ago. Those are the places where the surf, where the waves are so rough that the Coast Guard boats are designed so that when they tip over, and they will tip over, they just spin around and they right themselves uh, uh, automatically. So the crew took me out on a boat, not into the rough weather, but they took me out for a ride. And someone had the brilliant idea, let's let the chaplain take the wheel and see what happens. We had just come out of the harbor and I was beginning to think I had the hang of it when we hit a wave or rather a wave hit us. And it wasn't even a very big wave, but I was not holding on as fast as I should have been. And I was thrown into the air three or four feet as it came down, the deck came up and I slammed into the deck. And of course the whole crew saw it. And to make matters only slightly worse, the Coast Guard member who was a qualified surfman, who was a coxswain and who was standing next to me to make sure I didn't do anything I shouldn't do, and looked like she was about 14 years old, very gently asked me, but it wasn't a question or a suggestion, sir, would you like me to take over? And fortunately, since I'd had the wind and all the pride knocked out of me, 
I only had to nod my head and say, yes, I, I think that's probably best. I suspect, I know that all of us have had the wind knocked out of us a time or two. We've all had times when we thought we had it all figured out, and then we found ourselves flat on the deck, flat on the ground. We thought we were doing the right thing, but it sure didn't turn out the way we had expected it to. We were cruising along through life and everything seemed fine, and then something unexpected smashed into us. And some of us here today are experiencing that right now. Others have experienced that in the recent past, and all of us will experience it at some point in our lives. And that's why it's so important for us as believers to hold on and to make sure we're holding on to the right things. It's interesting in Scripture, if you do a search of the term hold on, there's, also as, uh, there's almost as many times when the people of God were told what not to hold on to as they were told what to hold on to. Especially in the Old Testament, they were often criticized for holding on to the wrong things, idols, riches, power, especially military might, thinking that those things would keep them secure instead of holding on to God. And of course, those things didn't keep them secure back then, and they don't keep us secure today. So today, allow me to encourage you to hold on to three things, three things that have guided Jackie and I on our journey up till now. Hold on to the promises of God, hold on to the presence of God, and hold on to the people of God. The promises of God. The Bible is filled with promises, and of course, they're all very, very meaningful. But some of them are more meaningful than others, depending on what we're experiencing at the time, what we are going through in the moment. So let me uh, share with you two of the promises that have guided and strengthened me through some very difficult times. The first comes from Luke 12. Don't worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that moment what you should say. And similarly from Mark 13, don't worry beforehand what to say. Say what is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but it is the Holy Spirit. We all find ourselves in situations where we're not sure whether or not we should speak, and if we decide we should speak, what to say. And while we are encouraged in Scripture to be ready and prepared to give an explanation for the hope that is in us, we're also told that we can trust God through the Holy Spirit, that he will guide us in those moments. And frankly, the guidance I have gotten most of the time from God is to keep my mouth shut and do more listening than speaking. I can't tell you how many times right before I walked into a hospital room or into the living room of a family or raised my hand in a meeting or approached my commanding officer that I said, okay, Lord, you put me here Show me what to say and what not to say. There's another promise that has sustained me through some very difficult situations. John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. That's not the comforting part, by the way. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And also Revelation 21 I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. No matter how things appear at the moment, no matter how dark the day seems, or how uncertain the future appears, it is done. That is a firm promise from our God. Our kids and I, we like to watch sporting events, and sometimes you can't watch the game live, so you record it. And our sons are just adamant that they don't want to know how the game turns out. They want to watch the game, especially Josiah in England. He often has to record it and watch the next day, and we're not allowed to tell him how the score is, how the game goes, until he's watched it for himself. I'm not like that. If I couldn't watch the game, I check to see who won before I turn it on because I don't want to sit through a whole game and find myself disappointed at the end. But when I know who wins, I can watch the game in peace. Well, that's a much weaker example of what we can do when we walk with God. We can know how the game ends. We can know how the story finishes by looking at the end of the story and that it is done. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Similarly, in Romans 8, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I had that taped to our computer monitor, my monitor at work, for at least the ten, last 10 years because there are always powers that want to help make us forget these promises, promises that we need to hold on to. So in addition to the promises of God, we also have the people of God that I encourage you to hold on to. At our retirement ceremony a couple weeks ago, among the many wonderful things of that day, was the fact that the pastors of four of the five churches we've attended in the United States over the past 28 years, including Peter, were there at the ceremony. And that spoke volumes of the kind of support we have received from the people of God throughout our career. Community helps you stand when you can't do it by yourself. And we've experienced the joy of community over and over and over again through good times and through very difficult times. Certainly our military community, certainly our neighbors, but especially the church. We've had the difficulty of having to move every few years for 28 years. We were reminiscing that Peter and Jackie and Jackie and I arrived here about the same time. Um, we've moved a lot more than they have in those 24 years. God creates us for community. And we've been able to be blessed by the community in Anaheim, California, and here in Brookfield, and then in Washington, D.C., Miami, Norfolk, and then in Washington, D.C. again. I'm absolutely convinced that the Christian walk is meant to be a group project, that God has created us to be part of a community, and allowed me to express our deep, deep gratitude for the community here at Brookfield. We moved to the area in 1998. And we drove up from Chicago on a Sunday morning to see what this church was all about and to see where we would be attending church for the next few years. I don't know who was preaching that day. It was the week before Peter came. 
I don't know what the sermon was or wasn't, but we will never forget the welcome that we receive from this church. Paul and Sandy invited us to lunch. Pat Van Dyken learned that we were staying in a hotel and she said, that's silly, I have an empty room, as we heard about an empty room this morning. I have an empty room, come and spend the week with me. And then she invited a number of couples, some of those who are here today, to come and meet with us that night to answer all of our questions and to tell us everything we wanted and didn't want to know about Brookfield. And that was all in just day one. And that's continued for 24 years. There was a time when I was trying to decide whether or not I would stay on active duty or I would take a position with the denomination. And one Sunday, we asked a couple people from church if they would come to our house and help us uh, to pray about that. And uh, we opened the door expecting two or three people to come in, and about 20 people walked into our living room. And we spent an hour praying, and they prayed that we would feel God's guiding and God's wisdom. When I was assigned to a ship, I was confident that there was no better place for my family to be than to remain here in Brookfield and you will be able to provide them the care that they needed. Some of you have visited us in Spain and Miami and D.C., and now granted, those are really cool places. But I do choose to believe that you came to visit us because of the bind that we had, the ties that we had, and the fact that you could visit us in Spain to express that closeness was just, just a bonus. And knowing that we've had a team of friends, that we have prayer, prayer partners who are praying for us, and we've been able to pray for you for the last 20 years, has meant such a tremendous amount to us. I'm part of a Facebook discussion group, and yes, it's dangerous. That's one of the reasons I need that Be Gracious tattoo. But the topic of the day was, what is the greatest threat to the church today? Many were quick to name this or that biblical or theological or social or political issue. And I just said, I think the greatest threat to the church today is a lack of unity. It's division. I truly believe that to individual churches, to denominations, and to our testimony to the world as a whole, the divisions that people see in the church are the greatest threat that is facing us. And we are so quick today to highlight the differences between different churches rather than to celebrate the faith that we hold in common. If you read the words of Christ, unity and community and fellowship and love among the believers was clearly one of his highest priorities and one of his most frequent commands. Many churches, certainly including the Christian Reformed Church, spend a lot of time arguing about who is right and who is wrong. And we accentuate what divides us rather than what unites us. And we're quick to refuse to be in fellowship with or to even speak with or pray with people who honestly and sincerely hold different beliefs than we do. John 17, Jesus said, I pray for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am you, that they may also be in us so that the world may know that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave to me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world when the church is united, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. Note what Jesus does not say in this passage. He doesn't say, I hope that they always agree on everything all the time. 
He doesn't say, I hope they all worship in exactly the same way, no matter what their culture, what their tradition is. He doesn't say, I hope that the church be in total agreement. His prayer for the church is that they show the world unity so that the world will know. Jackie and I have have had the the privilege, and it's truly been a privilege, to live and work in Nigeria, Costa Rica, Haiti, the Dominican Republic, Spain. I've spent a lot of time in the Middle East. We've We've lived and traveled and worked all throughout the United States. And one of the biggest joys is we've gotten to know missionaries and chaplains from church traditions that I had never even heard of before. I didn't know anything about. When I moved to Milwaukee, I thought there were Lutherans, and then I found out there's these kind of Lutherans, and this kind of Lutheran, and this kind of... The more we learn about the body of Christ, the more we see how diverse and how dynamic it is. They are all part of the people of God. They are part of the body of Christ. And as Danette sang so beautifully early on, it's beautiful. How beautiful is the body of Christ. It's also easy for us to forget how big the body of Christ is and that not every part of the body agrees on every point of doctrine. Scripture can be very, very complicated. Not everyone understands every part in exactly the same way. In fact, very few do. Think about baptism. Think about communion. Think about end times, just to name a few examples. Obviously, there are things that we need to be in agreement with. But those things, there's probably a pretty short list of things that we have to agree on in order to be in Christian fellowship with. We need to be very careful when we say that we are right and everyone else is wrong. Whenever we can, according to the command of Christ, we should hold tight to the body of Christ, recognizing that they belong to Christ as well. They are our brothers and sisters and we need each other. Now, after telling you what to hold on to, I'm going to end by giving you some words that maybe seem to be just the opposite. In 64 years and 38 years of ordained ministry as missionary, as a pastor, and in the military, I'm more convinced than ever that the most important thing has been the awareness that while it's vital that we hold on to God and we hold on to His promises, His presence, and His people with all of our being, Our only comfort in life and death comes from knowing that when and even when our hold weakens, our strength falters, and we just don't have the strength to hold on anymore, His hold on us never wavers. For 28 years, I believe that God, through the Christian Reformed Church, has called me to serve as a military chaplain, and I didn't always like that, but I knew it was true. And I can't express how important it has been to know that we did not choose this, but God did. And since He did, He would hold us, He would hold me, and He would hold our family through it. And I hope whatever you are facing today, you feel that same comfort. Something that's been painful for us through the years is when life is particularly challenging and difficult, and we tell people about those challenges, sometimes people will say, well, you chose this, you asked for it, suck it up but we really didn't. We firmly believe that God chose us to take this path, and I certainly hope and pray that God has told you and made clear to you that He has called you to go on the path that you have followed. And since He has called us, since He has chosen us, since He has given us these opportunities and these ministries and these opportunities and these challenges, He will 
and He has sustained us through them. I want to end with the, the words of a song by Lauren Daigle, Hold On to Me. When the best of me is barely breathing, have you ever been there where life has just knocked the wind out of you? And when I'm not somebody I believe in, hold on to me. When I miss the light the night has stolen, and I know we all go through times where it seems incredibly dark, and when I'm slamming all the doors that you, God, have opened, hold on to me. Hold on to me when it's too dark to see you, when I am sure that I have reached the end. Hold on to me when I forget that I need you, when I let go. Hold on to me again. Praise God that he holds us fast, even when we can't. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your presence. And we thank you for the people of God. But most of all, we thank you that you hold us tight, that you walk with us, and that you guide us, and that you lead us. Thank you that you give us strength when we are weak. You give us comfort when we are in danger of losing hope. And you remind us that it is finished, the battle is over, and it is done. Thank you, Lord, for your promises. May those promises ring true to each of us today, whatever circumstances, whatever situations we may be facing. And we thank you for the opportunity to be reminded of these promises through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.